0: Okay, so we're continuing on in our Holy Spirit series. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, um, that's what we've been in. We've been in a series called Ghost. And first we started off, uh, James started off with a message called He. Basically, what we were doing there is we're identifying who the Holy Spirit says that He is within the Scriptures. Okay, Because if you believe in God, if you're a Christian, there's something called... The Trinity, right? God is a triune God, which means He's three things in one. Don't expect to be able to wrap your head around this today. You won't, okay? But we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, three separate, one God. The way I like to think of it, and I'm just spreading confusion because I don't think anybody gets it on earth. You think about water, ice, and vapor, they're all water. But they're different. But they're all God. But they're different. Make sense? Okay. So we're talking about specifically about the Holy Spirit and who He says that He is and what role the Holy Spirit plays in Scripture and what we've seen. That was week one. Week two was surrender. There we go. Week two was surrender. Right? Surrender is about when you kind of when you you get to that point where you kind of hand over the steering wheel of your life to God, to the Word of God. So later on, I'll be getting into this analogy, but imagine that you're a car, and the Word of God is what should be behind the steering wheel driving. And surrender is when the Holy Spirit leads you to that point where you realize, I need to give up whatever's in that driver's seat in my life, because it's not working, and I need God to come in, and take control. Okay, that's surrender. That was week two, and then we went into communion, describing our relationship positionally with God, with Jesus, what He did when He came to the cross, what communion actually means, how He's the bridegroom and we're the bride, and now we're continuing on. Um, and today's topic is drenched, and the kind of the things I want to get out today are are twofold. One. It's about going deeper, right? Deeper in your relationship with God. And two, um, it's about baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's that, it's that point when you've surrendered, you say, hey, Lord, um, take, Jesus, take the wheel, and then take that, <laughs> that's surrender. Jesus, take the wheel. That's it. I won't do it a third time. Okay? And, and uh, we, you, you've given over that surrender. Drenched is the next part, is where the Holy Spirit starts driving. And, and it takes you typically into places that are outside of your comfort zone. You might be sitting in your seat today thinking, shoot, this is my first Sunday here at a Pentecostal church and they're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. That makes me uncomfortable. Um, don't be uncomfortable because there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit that makes every one of us uncomfortable drenched is when the Holy Spirit drives you into a place where you're uncomfortable because typically does not live in your comfort zone I love that lyric that was saying like there's nothing better than you really that's the end of the road that's always the destination is you're at a point where you're like, you know what? There is nothing better than God. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter what discomfort I feel, no matter what trial I'm going through, Lord, there is nothing better than you. But you're not drenched when you're standing on the shoreline. You're not drenched when you're knee deep. When you're drenched when you, you kind of get to that point where the, your feet, you're so deep that your feet no longer touch the ground, you have to start treading water, you're more susceptible to the current. Drenched is that feeling where you, you, you give up control of your own life because you realize what's best, but then you're taking outside of your comfort zone and you might find yourself in a, si- a situation or just a position in your life where you, you realize, Lord, I, you have to come through, I really need, I really need you. You're drenched when you're in something long enough for it to affect you in a way, whether good or bad. I wasn't going to say this, but it's kind of funny, and I can't help myself. Um, James brought it up. He's like, you know what you should say? That a pickle is just a drenched cucumber, <laughs> right? You're pickled in a situation when you're drenched in it. When you've been in it long enough, and it's affected you, you've adapted the flavor of what it brings we want to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. We want to bring the flavor of the Holy Spirit to everything that we do, right? Um, you know, but Jesus calls us salt of the earth, right? And, and we actually can't really do anything on our own without the Holy Spirit. But, but salt on its own, yeah, it has a taste. It's not the best, but salt is one of the most common spices that exists. And you know why? Is because salt accentuates the flavor that already exists somewhere else. That's who we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be so drenched in the spirit that when we go out into the world, we bring out the good in it that God has already placed there. We draw it out and we draw it out, drenched. So we're going to be jumping a little bit all over the place today. Um... And, and there is a train of thought that is steady, but I'm going to be a little bit all over. First, we're going to start, um, I want to talk about Acts 2. This is when the disciples are in the upper room, and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. But I also want to give you context into how they got there, and also the climate at which they're in. What is going on towards um, that time? What are... What is the feeling? What opposition do they currently face in that time? And then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit um, descending, but in two different areas. One, in the area of uh, Jesus and his example to us. And then talk about how it was in the disciples. So Acts chapter 2. The disciples are waiting in the upper room. So the upper room, uh, traditionally, if I'm getting it right, houses back in Jerusalem, had this room that was above where the people lived so that travelers could go by, stop there, and they'd have shelter for the night. So they're waiting in this upper room, and what's going on around them is something called the Feast of Weeks, okay? Basically, uh, this is called Shovat, if you like Jewish words. So it's called Shovat, and it's this Feast of Weeks, so The people will come all over, and they're celebrating the um, harvest of wheat, and this is where the Holy Spirit decides, I'm going to come down onto the disciples of Christ. Isn't that kind of funny? You think that's like a, you know, kind of God's humor, right? Like, oh, you're celebrating a harvest? I'm, I have a harvest plan that I'm coming down. I always thought that was interesting. So they're waiting in this upper room because God told them to wait there. And what had, what had, the instances that led to them waiting there is first, Jesus was crucified. You remember all the story leading up to that. Jesus was um, kind of against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were supposed to take care of God's people, but instead they took care of themselves. So Jesus comes down, and he is going to flip that. He's going to take care of the people, as the Pharisees were supposed to, but they didn't. And he came down and he said, I am God doing this. In Ezekiel, there's a prophecy that says that because the Pharisees didn't take care or love, that God is going to come down and do it himself. And this is Jesus now. And he's saying, I'm going to do the things that I had asked you to do, but you're not doing it, and I am God. And the Pharisees, as we know, they hated Jesus for that. He was growing in popularity I think they felt that their authority was being undermined. They're being usurped. All the crazy laws that they had made that bound the Israelites, right? When, when God, Christ comes and gives freedom, he was going against all of that. So they hated Jesus. They kill him. But that doesn't mean and at that time that the hatred that they have for him is just all of a sudden gone, Right? Maybe for a brief moment, they figure, okay, good. Our problems are done and dealt with. But remember, they hated Jesus. And Jesus says, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. Now, I want to paint a picture. We're going to jump over into Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. Our focus today is Acts 2, but we're going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, In Acts chapter 8, the early church, the Holy Spirit's come down on the disciples. And the early church is in its foundational state. Everything is, is starting to. So this movement of Jesus is coming back on the rise. Now the, the Pharisees at that time were the governing officials. Now they're just as mad about all of this as they were. That same anger that killed Jesus is still present now. And there's this guy and, and his name is Stephen. And the reason I'm going to talk about this is because I am hoping to paint a picture of what was going on when the disciples were in the upper room. The um, persecution was very much still alive after the cross. So the early church has started. And um, this guy named Stephen, Stephen is known as what is a deacon in the church. So he is taking care of widows. And and the Spirit of God is on Stephen, and he's performing miracles. He's laying his hands on lepers, and they're being healed. And and he's just doing all these things enough to get the attention of these people, these Pharisees and these Sadducees. And so um, the anger that they felt is there, And so they bring him in. They bring Stephen in to see them because they want to trap him. They want to, you know, put an end to what he's doing. What they want him to say, what they want him to do is blaspheme the same way that they presume Jesus did so that they can eradicate Stephen and kill off this Jesus movement. So, They bring Stephen in and uh, they try to accuse him. And Stephen has a a divine moment okay, where the Holy Spirit is now talking through Stephen. And in the face of all of these Pharisees, he starts telling them the truth of the gospel and where their position is with it, exactly as Jesus did. And it's not very flattering to them. And he says that Jesus is the Messiah. You guys killed him. And he ties it all the way back to David. It says now, and then, okay, so Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Now when they heard these things, they were, or they became enraged. And, and so enraged that they ground their teeth at him. Like this is a deep, seemingly spiritual rage, right? They ground their teeth at Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Okay, pause for a second. In that moment, the Spirit ministers to Stephen and he sees the glory of God in the face of hate. Like, it's visceral. It's there. He is currently hated. But he sees, and he's being ministered to, the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, you know how profound that is, right? When Jesus left, the Bible says that I'm going, I'm going to go be seated at the right hand of God. But in this vision, he's not sitting Jesus is standing for Stephen. He's standing with Stephen, right? Standing at the right hand of God. God, Jesus stands for you. The, with the Holy Spirit in these moments, Jesus is active, he's, he's watching, and he's, you know, like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit behalf. Jesus is at the right hand of God. But he's active there, watching, hoping, experiencing, feeling through the Holy Spirit. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. This is the Pharisees. They cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears. God, they're like this. They can't take it. This this is so blasphemous, it's so heinous to them. They're they're grinding their teeth and they're blocking their ears because they hate it so much. And they cried out with uh, but they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed at him together, all of them, pff, mob. They cast him out of the city to stone him and stone him. And the witnesses. Lay down their garments at a, at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, so this is the Saul that later we know as Paul, that wrote a pretty giant majority of the New Testament. All the Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, he wrote all of those books. He's there at the at the, at this scene with Stephen. Later on, I'll read it, it even says that he, he's the one that approved of it. And so, the witnesses, the ones that are laying their garments down, that was something that you did traditionally in that culture. If you took your garment, you had this garment on top of your clothing, sort of like a kind of shawl. So they took it off, and they laid it at Saul's feet. They say that, I will be a witness of what truly happened here. I will be a witness to say that he was blaspheming. I've got your back, Saul. Because at that time, if, you, if the Jews wanted to kill somebody, they had to get approval from the Romans, right? We see that with Jesus. They're trying to kill Jesus, but first they take him to Pontius Pilate. Say, hey, can we kill this guy because he's broken our laws? At the end, you know, Pilate washes his hands of it, and he says, you do whatever you want. But here, there is none of that. Stephen is not brought before the Romans. They're laying their cloaks down at Saul's feet, and they're saying, I'll just, we'll be witnesses that he did the exact same thing as Jesus did. It's like pre-approved or something. Verse 59. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out, with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he would said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was killed with a mob mentality, but full of the Holy Spirit. In all of that, the Spirit was ministering to Stephen and giving him a supernatural ability to even forgive his killers as they were killing him a supernatural ability to forgive, to endure. Um, So that is to paint a picture of how the governing officials of that time felt towards the early church. When the disciples are in the upper room, it's kind of quieted down, right? Jesus had come back and he hung out with them for 40 days. He ascended into heaven and they may have thought, that this is over. But they knew, I think the disciples knew while they were in that upper room that um, if they went and did things, they would awaken this anger again, which was probably still there. You know why? Because when Jesus left the tomb, the Pharisees said, let's just say, let's spread rumors that the disciples stole his body. That the disciples stole the body of Jesus. They're still scheming And they're still against, and they're still hating. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And Saul approved of this execution. Some say that um, he was even the one that, not just that he was okay with it, but that he's the one that approved it. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison." This is the temperature, the cultural temperature that the early disciples that are in. This is the temperature that they're in when they're waiting in the upper room. Jesus died, rose again, hung out with them for 40 days, performed signs and wonders and ascended into heaven. And he said, go, and, he, and before he ascended, he said, go and wait in the upper room for the promise that you will receive. I've baptized, or John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that some of them in that room may have been, I think there's a mix of feelings. Jesus is alive, yes. Scared about what's coming next, in anticipation of what this gift will be. There probably was a mixture of some fear, and some hope, They were in that moment, they had followed the word of God for their life. And they were drenched in the situation that the Holy Spirit had led them to be in. When the Holy Spirit leads you, he leads you out of your comfort zone. He leads you into situations where you you feel that drenching. Those two examples now. Um, now we're going to jump back. There's two examples here of the Holy Spirit descending. Okay, so the purpose of the Holy Spirit descending and the the purpose of Holy Spirit baptism is for you to be a witness and to minister. Right on our own. Like look look at the example of Stephen here. In that situation, he was witnessing. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to witness, Um, which if you're a Christian here today, is really ultimately the end goal of what life is really all about. We're not to focus too much here on exactly, you know, all of the workings in and out that are going to happen on earth, but we're to focus partially or mostly on what eternity will be like, what eternity will be like for you here. What eternity will be like for me. And in order to do that, I have to witness about the great things that God is doing and that God has done. But first, he has to reveal that to me. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit is for you to witness, but you cannot minister and witness unless the Holy Spirit first ministers to you. You have to be powered, empowered. It doesn't just come naturally. The Holy Spirit has to minister to you first and then you minister. Um, Jesus, before he started his ministry, he went to go get baptized. And in Matthew 3, verse 13 to 17, we'll read about it. So then Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan, uh, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, John the Baptized to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, no, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, behold, The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit coming to rest on the disciples. This is tongues of fire came in, and it's resting on the disciples. But here, in Matthew chapter 3, we see the Spirit coming to rest on Jesus in the form of a dove. Jesus did not start his ministry. He didn't do anything to do with ministry until the Spirit came and rested on him. Verse 17, And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That is the Spirit of God ministering to God before he goes to minister to other people. That is him being filled up in that moment. You think about identity, right? When you get to that point of you've let the Holy Spirit drive you, all the while he gives you identity. You are my son and my daughter, which I am well pleased. An identity is shifted there from whatever you made up for yourself to whatever it is that God has for you. This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit leads you into you knowing that, into you seeing that. After that, we see that the uh the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert, and I just wanted to point out that that's where the in in that time is the Word of God behind the steering wheel with Jesus, and it's in the driver 's seat, and it decides where the car goes. imagine you 're a car. I think Jesus in these next moments paint, he paints a pretty good image of what it is that we're supposed to be like as believers, right? Christian means little Christ. We're Christ followers. We endeavor to be Christ-like. The word here is in the driver's seat. The spirit leads Jesus into the desert. And and he decides where the car goes. And imagine in your car you have three things. You have the word of God, you have discipline, and you have emotions. Emotions. We're assuming here that you've gotten to that point, past surrender, and you've said, okay, Lord, drive this vehicle. Discipline and emotion are in the vehicle, and they can change with who's in the passenger seat depending on you know, what season of life you're in, but the Holy Spirit is always to, to be the last factor deciding on where you go. You cannot make a decision without seeing it through with discipline. Emotions might help you make a decision, but discipline sees it through. Jesus is in the desert because of the word of God brought him there after his baptism. His discipline kept him there because we know for sure that it didn't feel good. He didn't stay there because he felt really good. What can happen is that sometimes we get our cars all mixed up. We put emotions in the driver's seat. We're bouncing around everywhere, stopping this, stopping here, and stopping there, and going down every little distraction that we go down. Part of what we need to do in our life in order to be spirit-led is to allow the rearranging to happen. Discipline kept him there. Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, or I'm just going to read a small part of that. It says, man shall not live on bread alone or, or what satisfies, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God is the word that we're supposed to live by. But we get to these, this position where the word is driving in us um, based off the decisions that we make if you want to be spirit-led, if you, want to, you have to allow yourself to go through that rearranging. But you've got to ask yourself, what do you need to start doing and what do you need to stop doing in order to get there? Because you want to get to a position, like we were saying in the song, there's nothing better than you. You want to really feel that. You wanna be able to know that with your whole being so that whatever situation that you find yourself in, you're able to minister, you're able to witness, and you're able to claim the good things that God is doing, proclaim the good things that God is doing. But have you been following a culture that doesn't follow God? Maybe that's something you need to stop doing and start following a culture that does. Have you been following friends that don't follow God? Maybe you need to stop doing that and start having following friends that do. And, um, and being led by the Spirit isn't always this super hype, ecstatic moment. I believe personally that every one of you is here because on some inclination you've been led by the Spirit to come here. But we need to have the Word of God in us in order to get to the empowerment. Maybe it's time to stop reading self-help books and start reading the Word of God and getting it into you first. Because sometimes, and, and I think this is what I'm trying to touch on, is that we, we wonder, God, where are you in my life? I want this Holy Spirit baptism thing. I want to be empowered to be a witness I want everything that you have for me, God, good and bad. I just want you on my side, but I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been in my life. I don't know who you are. I I feel so separated and so apart from you. But the decisions that you have been making have actually led you to that place. You need to take a look and realize, have I been in the word of God? Have I been living purely off of just... How I feel. Have I been disciplined in reading the word? And have I been disciplined in prayer? Because I heard this from Rick Warren and it's going to stick with me for my life. He said, First you make your decisions, and then later your decisions make you. Jesus was in the desert. And the Holy Spirit led him to somewhere where it didn't feel good. Um, and there's more to why he was specifically in the desert. But at the end of, um, I think, later on in that chapter in Matthew, it says that when he passed his test, angels came down and ministered to him. Because your feelings are important. And, and don't hear me say that God doesn't care about the things that you care about. God is very intimate. And... and emotional, and he does, but we need to know, have we been living based off our emotion? Are our disciplines driving us, but the word of God isn't there, so we're not really headed down the right path? You need to get your car in order, in order for the spirit to lead you into deeper relationship with him. In Acts chapter 1, you guys, you, uh, you, you sense I've been jumping around. Now we're, gonna, we're here now, okay? In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, this is while Jesus was still with his disciples before he left. And while staying with them, he being Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The word, Jesus is the word. The word tells the disciples where to be and what to do. And it's in the drive, it's in the drive. It's in the driver's seat for their life. He told them to go wait, and they go and wait. And there may be fear there because they know how Jesus was treated. And they're waiting in this upper room for some gift that they're going to receive, which I'm sure they had no context for. And they know how the Pharisees feel towards them. And they know how the Sadducees feel towards them. And so they may be really scared. It is scary when the government officials come for you, (laughs) right? If you ever had an arrest warrant out for you, it's scary stuff. I haven't but I, just so you know <laughs> when they when they're coming they're coming to come knock down the door it's it's scary but they're there not because of generally how they feel they're there because the word of God told them to be there and their discipline is keeping them there despite how they feel Acts chapter two, verses one to four. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit And began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterances. So they are surrounded. It's this feast of harvest with all of these people. If you read further down Acts chapter 2, it actually tells you how many people are there from different cultures. And in that moment, the spirit of God comes and rests on them just like it did when it rested on Jesus before he starts his ministry. It rests on them and they start speaking in other tongues. We know that these, uh, they actually started speaking in different languages. And they started speaking in the languages of the people who were around them, who were at that feast. And in verse 11, if you read down, it says that they were declaring the mighty works of God. But they were declaring the mighty works of God because they were being shown the mighty works of God. In that moment of their Holy Spirit baptism, the Spirit was ministering to each one of them and showing them God's mighty works in a way that is irrefutable to them. They, it's just, you, you don't doubt it anymore. And, and out of that place, they're just declaring, God You are so good. Lord, you have done all of these great things. You have redeemed us as people, and you are amazing. And this declaration is being heard from the people that are on the street. The Holy Spirit is ministering to them so they overflowed with their declaration of the mighty works of God. And then so it says that the people there were amazed and they're hearing God the things that God has done in their own language and in their own dialect. But at that time there were some who were saying that they've just been drinking they're all drunk. Right there's the doubters and there's the mockers. That that's the same for all of us. You experience Holy Spirit baptism and you start declaring the works of God. You know, you come to Jesus, and maybe it happens at the same time. Um, the disciples were disciples before they were baptized in the Spirit, right? They knew Jesus before they were baptized in the Spirit. It comes at separate events, it could come at the same time. That depends on what the Spirit wants to do. But you start declaring these things to your family, you start being bold, and they start mocking you. Just like the disciples are being mocked now, they start, and some say they're drunk. Ah, they're just drunk. And Peter stands up and he says, "They're not drunk. It's only nine a.m." And he starts preaching to the people about all of that that's going on. Acts chapter two. At the hands of lawless men. He goes on, he goes on to describe everything that happened. Peter's standing in front of thousands of people at this point. And he's exclaiming what's going on incredibly boldly, full of the Holy Spirit just as we saw with Stephen earlier, doesn't matter what kind of opposition might be out there, he's exclaiming boldly all the things that has done. And he is accusing, in a sense, maybe accusing is the wrong word, but he says, uh, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Later on in in verse um, 37 to 41, now then, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is the people that Peter was talking to. They were cut to the heart. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, And for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is for the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for everybody who God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. To those who received his word were baptized, and they were added. That day, to them, to the disciples, to the followers of Christ, 3,000 souls. This Holy Spirit empowers you to witness outside of your comfort zone. This is the same Peter who, in Matthew chapter 26, because, you know, Jesus, this is at the time when Jesus is actually being crucified, and Peter goes, and he's at this fire, and there's a servant girl who says, hey, weren't you with Jesus Right, and he denies it because he's afraid of persecution. Two other instances right after that, they say, hey Peter, weren't you with Jesus? And he denies it because he's afraid of persecution. He is a disciple of Jesus in this part of his life. He is already a disciple. And some of us are disciples here, but we don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you say, God, I want what you want for my life. I want to do what it is that you want me to do. I want to be bold for you. I want to tell my family about Jesus. I want to tell my friends about Jesus. But we haven't allowed ourselves to be led into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Peter now that declares in front of thousands of people, where it's going to get out. Word's going to reach those people that seek to kill him and to kill this movement, but he, nevertheless, that it's not affecting him anymore. Being a disciple adopts you into sonship and daughtership of the living God. You are a son and a daughter of God. If you're, and um, discipleship adopts you into that. But Holy Spirit empowers you to act like one. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to act like one. The the world needs it. The dark places in our communities, in our world, need us to have Holy Spirit boldness in order to reach past our comfort zones, in order to reach and witness to people. There are eternities depending on our Holy Spirit baptisms. The disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter spoke boldly, and in that time, 3,000 souls were added, written in the book of life. 3,000 eternities shifted from lane B to lane A. Worship team, I'll get you guys to come back up. The baptism of the Holy Spirit... Is not this scary thing. It's not this thing where you're going to lose all control. It's when you and the Holy Spirit are becoming one so that your desires are the Holy Spirit's desires. It's not this giant separation. That's when you're drenched. That's when you're drenched. That's when you're affected and you're changed. When your will and your ways truly line up with what the Holy Spirit has, he leads you out of your comfort zone. And when your identity is solely based in him, when you feel these fears and this opposition is coming, but you can be bold nonetheless. The Holy Spirit baptism empowers us to reach in areas we probably never would have thought we'd be able to reach. It's to build up the church. And it's to be in the service of God. It's to serve God. To act like one of his children. Not just positionally, but to be there. But you have to let the Holy Spirit minister to you first. You have to let the Holy Spirit show you the mighty works that God has done. And out of that place of overflowing, you then go out and are empowered to do the same. So I'm going to pray for us real quick. And then the worship team is going to lead us into another song. I'll ask today that if you want to talk and chat, um, you do so in the foyer after. And you allow those who feel like they want to pray and be here to give them that privilege. Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for the mighty works that you accomplish. Thank you for your empowerment um, in this pursuit that you have of us, that you value us so much that you want this deep relationship with us. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've walked away, for the times that we haven't listened, we've been in the wrong paths, for the times when there's been something else behind the helm of our life. God... We want to go deeper with you, so we pray, Lord Jesus, and we open ourselves up, God, that we be baptized by your spirit, that we will be knowing your mighty works, that they will come into our lives and we'll be empowered, Lord, to go and witness, to go and share. In Jesus' name, amen.